Hey, we are back for movie marathon. Uh, we are continuing our Halloween uh, series here in October. Uh, we are here to talk about the 1968 George Romero classic, uh, Night of the Living Dead. It's the it's the zombie that launched a thousand ships, if you will, for <laughs> the film industry. So excited to talk about the OG zombie movie uh, and and uh, a little bit more about Mr. Romero. So good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, Murph. It is uh, feels extremely early because the it sun is. is not even <laughs> up yet. And uh, although I, I, I can see it peeking over the trees here outside the window. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm hoping that'll wake us up a little bit. Uh, I think we are both. <laughs> uh, the obvious uh, comparison would be we are a little zombie-esque this morning. Yes. I hate Waking my up on a brains. Sunday. Before mm. I got on the call, I ate my neighbor's brains. They were delicious, but I'm still not really awake. <laughs> I know, I'm excited to do this one. I, I it's a uh, it's one I do love, and um, but has I don't know. I'm curious how long we're going to go on this because it's got a lot of stuff to talk about, but also it's going to be very similar. Of oh, that's kind of cool, but like yeah, it's a low budget with not movie stars made in 1968 or probably i guess probably not released in 1968 um so it's got some easy flaws but also some really cool stuff going on so i'm curious uh how deep how deep we'll get well i think the movie itself is it's not even it's not even that long i think it's like a it's an hour 20 or or i it took yeah, me multiple actually... nights to finish it because i was sleepy because i'm an old part <laughs> but <laughs> I know as as I get older, I, I cannot judge movies based on uh, how like, if I fall asleep or not, because that might just mean I like the movie and like I relaxed and then that's going to immediately put me to sleep. Uh, yeah. no, it is not long. So I thought um, you would have thought we would have, uh, you know, easily watched this and recorded by now. No, I, 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 I it now takes me if we do anything where we're trying to watch a movie uh, at night before we go to bed, I, it's going to take me at least probably two viewings because I'm, it's just. It's like uh, being 40 set in. <laughs> I have to take a little nap. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I had never seen this before Before this. I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it. Um, it's it's definitely low budget. Uh, it's But it, I, I, I joked earlier, it's the movie that launched a thousand zombies because it really did. This is basically the start of the zombie genre uh, in, in cinema. Uh, I think it had been in some other stuff, uh, more or less, but it seems like Romero really put a stake in the ground, whether he intended to or not, uh, on what the mythology for for zombies stuff was going to be uh, going forward. And then this have this had a couple of sequels: uh, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um, and uh, I think that was. And then I think he did some more that were in the early two thousands. There were some spinoffs with one of his co writers: uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead, one and two and three. Uh, so and then this had some some other uh, movies that just basically stole the zombie concept and started using it. But, but yeah, th- this this really did kind of shift the genre. And I think it ended up being a more uh, more subversive movie in the time period that came out, whether it intended to or not. And uh, I, I don't think Romero intended to, but it, but it, that's what it, that's what it ended up as. Yeah, I, I find that very interesting in some of the research of, um, particularly, there's some racial elements in here that I've always responded to in the movie of like, wow, that's a, that's um, for 1968 is very it's very interesting. Um, I'm looking for the right word, but I'm not I'm not gonna get it. I'm too tired. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but Romero kind of was like, oh, that wasn't intentional. It just like worked out that way with casting, and I was like. I find that so hard to believe based on like how, how well the, of the movie yeah. and how like critical it is to so much of like the tension of the movie. And like, so you, I mean, I appreciate you being honest, but you're just saying you get super lucky that, like, that it just worked out this way. Cause I think without that, I don't think this movie becomes, you know, a, a classic. Uh, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, and the element here really is is that obviously it's 1968. It was the same year Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, it was also the same year I think that uh, two American athletes lost their medals at the uh, um, 
Olympics in Mexico City for protesting uh, or holding holding their hands up in solidarity. Uh, and I, it's interesting that Romero sort of denies that, but the reality is you have a your male lead is an African American guy named Ben, and he's fighting an old kind of middle aged white guy who they continue to come to head ahead on on basically just normal survival stuff i think harry right that was the name of the yeah it's the old uh white guy old white guy um or uh, middle-aged and... white guy i guess he's probably, <laughs> probably, and, he's probably uh, yeah he's probably our age <laughs> oh, no. oh no <laughs> um people aged hard <laughs> oh yeah it was it was brutal back then but but yeah it, it does set up as been it's funny in this because it feels like nobody actually is really the winner here actually it's true nobody is the winner here <laughs> spoiler alert at the end uh uh, it's just bleak, but it, it does feel like they set up Ben to be the uh, the hero in this, and Harry to be the um, the heel or the 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 darker side of of humanity. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it kind of feels like there's no winner here, um, just because they take even Ben's character and kind of turn him into somebody who's just desperate to escape and uh, survive on his own. Yeah, and I think the race element is so critical because Harry's character who uh, is played by Carl Hardman, who I just looked up born in 1927. So literally our age when this was filmed in my bed. Hey, Hey, we're looking great then. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm feeling better. I, I'm, I'm feeling good. That how good we <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Uh, but so his character, I think without the racial element would be, would feel very like one note and kind of boring of just he's always they're just at each other and he's always it. just a problem and like he's always like this no like we can't and, but with the racial element you kind of project onto him it's like oh it's this middle-aged white guy who has been struggling with you know civil rights and and now he's in this situation and this the young strong black guy is telling him what to do and he just can't no matter how like how bad the situation gets, he still just can't accept that and be okay with it. And just, he's always, always has to like contradict him and like prove himself. And, and you know, there's an element of just like young, old male, like toxic male masculinity stuff. Oh, um, there's a lot of that on both sides. Of the table um, for this yeah. <laughs> um, that, but I think like the racial element, we said like, Oh, like this guy would rather die and have his family in danger than put have a black wrong. guy in charge of him. Um yeah, there's always a there's always a subtext that's underneath the surface with both of them that it all it never goes to that, but it always feels like there's this this un unexplained which makes it feel thinking. so much smarter that they never directly say it. It's just underneath the like that currents underneath everything they do. And it's like, yeah, like they're both recognizing if this was a normal situation, like there, like things might be different, or there's like, yeah, like the outside world. You but, and I are maybe like, yeah, like there's a lot of problems and tension, and it, it does feel like with with what happens in the world, which I can't wait to talk about uh, that the space probe from Venus that explodes and supposedly causes this. Yeah. Um, because society's been upended in this, it does feel like that there's a uh, there's a power shift where Ben doesn't have to necessarily maybe listen to all the the dumb shit that Harry's going to tell him or try and force him to do because you know society's society's already shifted because as a result of this thing and it's sort of removed maybe some of those impediments that Ben might have felt before. That, that's what it feels like to me at least is that there's this ben knows there's a shift harry hasn't accepted it yet and ben's doing what he has to to survive because he's he's he sees what the situation for what it is and harry seems to be unable to to wrap his head around it i don't again we're going probably a little bit deeper it sounds like than romero did but it is hard to think that there wasn't some intentional uh intentionally inserting some of these ideas into the movie and I think that, so the stuff you're talking about, I think that's also makes the ending so powerful. And it, yeah, it, if it was a white, if Ben was played by a white actor, it would just be like, like tragically it, ironic. But with the black actor, that he survives this, like this, this middle-aged white guy is trying to hold him down and will listen to him and he manages. But 
and then the end is just like a ra- like a roaming group of white men with guns and dogs Good like people. kill him and it's like oh like the second this african-american man like came out on top and like survived just a group of white men to kill him and put him down um and it's like that's a real powerful image and message in 1968 and i i find it so hard that wasn't there wasn't like some thought like i don't know romero would have to have been like blind to the world not to have some awareness of what how that would play to the audience at the time like i think he had to have and maybe he just doesn't want to maybe he just wants to let the movie speak for itself and doesn't really want to get drawn into a conversation about things and so i was like no it's just it is what it is and no it's it's uh I, I like the ability. This is, I think, where where movies can be fun. Is you you can, you can infer uh, and overlay these ideas on these movies, whether whether that's intentional or not. I think it, it's just something that it's. It, this is a movie that's a product of its time. In 1968, there was a lot of uh, unrest in the United States for for good reason, and I think there's there's pieces of that stitched in here. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but you know, it does feel like Romero responding in, in some way, shape, or form to to what was going on in the world. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess yeah. you could say, and I know I working on this, the years leading up to 68, I mean, I guess you'd say that it just as a society, that stuff was so powerful in the zeitgeist that intentional, it may not have been intentional, but it's just like, that's what people were thinking about. And so subconsciously, like, like that's just, he might be saying it's not intentional in the sense that I set out to do this. It's just, that's the world I was living in. So that's what came out yeah in a way um yeah 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 Yeah, well we really cracked this one didn't we all right good podcast (laughs) (laughs) um well your background is the probably the most annoying character in the movie which is harry (laughs) well well, good news or johnny excuse me johnny um (laughs) really you 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 wouldn't give that to his uh his sister (laughs) his most annoying character (laughs) i hate that family i i don't like either of them um uh his so the movie opens with it does feel like I'm watching an episode of like an old episode of Days of My Days of Our Lives with like because you can see the lack of quality and it's not I, I don't mean that in a mean way it's just it's just the reality of kind of how how this film was made it's a very very low budget movie in 1968 I think it was shot on black and white to save money um and the all the actors are i think are all stage actors that that were not a lot i don't think there's anybody who really went on and had a career after this. no that's what, yeah it's we'll, we'll get to a segment later where uh <laughs> the the star wars angle was a, a tough one our star trek angle was a tough one on, uh, <laughs> yeah, on this one I've, basically i think these are all like pittsburgh stage actors who never went to hollywood yeah kind of thing, which i'm a little the only one i'm surprised by is uh dwayne jones who plays ben i wanted to dig a little deeper and never get a chance but I think he's very good and I'm a little surprised he didn't um, do more have have more after this. But I mean, I'm like we're talking about the racial situation in America in 1968. I'm sure contributed to not a lot of roles for him to go out to try to get in Hollywood. So that I'm (laughs) guessing that's probably had had something to do with it. Uh no I I I I agree yeah he was a New York a New York trained actor and he, sometimes too is like these here people say yeah I was on working on the stage in New York like doing things that's where my passion was and what I was doing you know, he got in he also died pretty young he died uh, in in eighty eight so he was only about fifty or fifty one when he passed away so um, okay. for, fairly young uh, yeah and I'm saying that because I'm ten years now away from that, that <laughs> yeah, age Jesus, uh, that's frightening. Um, but yeah, so, and I, I guess there's a character in The Walking Dead that's named after Dwayne. Um, yeah, I think he's the only one to really stand, you're right, that's kind of a standout here of, of being a, a good actor. And, um, I would say the other end of that spectrum is, uh, Johnny, who just seems like a fucking goofball that Romero, like, <laughs> if you told me he was Romero's cousin and he just got, like, let loose onto the set, you're like, all right, we're going to give you a role, but you're not really going to do too much other than just annoy people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, as a car person, the thing that got me annoyed the most was he he wears driving gloves to drive like a Pontiac. <laughs> that just really annoys me. It's like, buddy, 
but I wonder, I wonder if audiences at the time would be like, oh, I know exactly what Romero's saying this guy is. He's the guy who drives wears point. driving gloves. If that's like, I don't know, it'd be like an affectation that contemporary <laughs> audiences would immediately be like, oh, I know exactly who this guy is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, nothing against that, the, the guy or the actor, but just the character of Johnny, the way they play it is like, yep, I could do with never seeing this guy again. And I yeah, would be perfectly I, happy. He's written as, he's annoying his sister and, also, his dialogue is a little, knowing this is going to be a zombie movie, it's a little, like, obviously written for a zombie movie as he's foreshadowing things so heavily of, I, um, yeah, yeah, like, jokingly saying, oh, that guy is out to get us, when it's like, oh, it's a zombie who really is, like, going to come kill you. I think I, I, I do like that, the way they open this, though. I think that I think that's a really fun way, because it's a really it's both a slow burn and not a slow burn because they, they, they do jump into it pretty quick. Johnny and, and Barbara are there to, which is the craziest spelling of Barbara I've ever seen, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's literally bar. Barbara. <laughs> and uh, it's most, I think it's the most phonetically correct way to spell her name. <laughs> I think it's it. how my people say it. <laughs> that both yeah. people might leave a syllable out or something or, but yeah. And, uh, but I like the, the fact that, it, that you, in 1968 you probably didn't see this you didn't know what was coming either but uh it's just this guy creeping up on them and and slowly inching his way toward him and you keep thinking okay it's just some crazy old guy and then he attacks johnny and 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 knocks johnny down and cracks his head open barbara takes off and i like that it's Movies don't do this today where it's just something happens and then they're leaving it up to the audience to really start to put together uh, as the movie reveals it to you what's going on. I think they do that. They do that really well in here. And I, I think it's something that's weird. Interestingly, they do it for the sake of saving on budget and giving exposition without spending a lot of money to give exposition. But I think it's this is one of those movies where the charm of it being low budget also pays off to the effectiveness of the movie. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. It makes the, the you feel the stakes for these characters. Um, we care about more than the, a global view of all of this. So I think it heightens the stakes um, for the characters, but um, yeah, I, I, so this opening, I find a little goofy, but I do, oh, um, <laughs> or please. very goofy. Um, but it's written a bit that way. And, um, but generally, I like it. And I love that they're going to a cemetery. I think this is a great, um, I think this is, a, a, if you're in the mood for a movie to watch around like Halloween, a great one because it it opens at a cemetery. So you pretty quick have like the iconography of like a creepy setting. And it instantly goes to like zombie attack and people fleeing they're not wasting a bunch of time um with like some exposition or anything you're pretty um pretty much into it but i do i'm very curious what it's like to watch this when it came out because of the first 20 minutes you really wouldn't have much grounding of what's happening um and i I like that about it Uh, i think that's it and it slowly builds and reveals like what these zombies are what they're after what they're going to do how dangerous they are and it kind of like builds and heightens whereas like coming from an audience now where we're like (laughs) so much zombie stuff um it's i I can't imagine what it would have been like to watch this uh like opening weekend of (laughs) um like what are these things and what are they doing well i mean I think this movie itself was a slow burn. It didn't get very good reviews, uh, as I recall. Um, I'm going to pull my notes because I, I can't remember exactly what they were, but I did look up. I think I saw like Vincent Canby was pretty. Yeah, Jack, pretty I can understand it. that acting from some of it is a little wooden. Um, there's some pretty heavy exposition in the middle using um, TV news footage, yeah. TV brief. Yeah, that is very like the movie of the time. Like, could be from like a movie Mystery Science Theater is doing, yeah, uh, kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's kind of something we talked about what's going on underneath the surface. And then the effects 
of the zombie, the makeup and stuff is incredible. Yeah, they're they're, they're they better look than I was amazing. expecting. I mean, more, yeah. it's, this is more uh, visceral than I would have expected for 1968. Yeah, yeah it holds up. It holds up very well. Um, which normally, it's funny. Normally, that's the stuff. It normally it's kind of the reverse. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, like these people are like, so actors, but the, the effects are just cheesy, and the filmmaking is a little dated. And like, I don't really feel like the filmmaking is very dated here. I love the different um, kind of oblique angles Romero's using. They're kind of disorient you, distort the world that you know, like something is off in this in this world uh, that you're seeing. Um, so yeah, it's it's from a technical side that's where it holds up um so well i think yeah i i I enjoyed the ending where uh it's man it's really dark actually uh it's when tom and his girlfriend are trying to go refuel the truck and it fails and they and they drive away and the truck explodes (laughs) uh but then after they're they're done burning uh the zombies come in and just start like ripping them apart ripping what's left of them apart and start eating like there's like a looks like they're eating like a liver i think i i read that they were actually like having people eat like cow intestines stuff like that it was it was pretty gross and uh Which i just think inc- go ahead go ahead oh i say it's incredible i can't imagine like this low budget movie because they've got a ton of extras and stuff and it's like it's like romero's having these people show up open up a cooler of like intestines and things he's like <laughs> all right guys we need to smear this on your face and you're gonna need to carry this in your mouth and you know pretend you're eating it and <laughs> So, oh, by the way, I was just like, yeah, all right, awesome, let's do it. You're the zombie that's naked, so take off all your clothes, uh, and uh, <laughs> you're not gonna get paid shit for this. So you better, you better get used to it. Um, no, I, I, I did, I did like all of that. I, I was surprised when they show uh, that it's that visceral and that kind of gross factor in your face because it just, just in '68, this doesn't seem like some, you know a thing that they would do, but. I was thinking about it. Bonnie and Clyde was the year before this, and that's a pretty violent, pretty yeah, that's, disturbing is, ending. So I wonder if maybe that was the, the this is definitely kind of the time taking period. the new Hollywood shift of yeah. We can, <laughs> we, we can show we can show more. We or we're going to show more, and 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 this is a byproduct of that. But yeah, I, I, it's pretty pretty visceral, and even the the makeup effects of the gunshots and stuff like that are, are pretty good. Um, interestingly, the only one that uh, you know what? Never mind. I'm not gonna say what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna leave it alone. Uh, All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the opening with with Johnny getting killed. Uh, we, we should talk that the genesis of supposedly of all of this is <laughs> a the radiation leak that's come from a Venus space probe that exploded somewhere over North America. Um, we probably haven't hit it yet, but this definitely has some. Uh, fears of the the cold war type of elements going with it too um, um which that uh i kind of forget that was like the origin of, of this stuff and i was like oh it kind of giving me some life force vibes of <laughs> this probe returning with like i was gonna say uh, gonna turn people into i was gonna say maximum over it's this is this is if you think about it maximum overdrive is a zombie movie for vehicles yeah <laughs> or it's a night of the living dead for vehicles reveal yeah it is so I, I feel like um, maybe uh, King just ripped off Romero. Both both serious substance abuse problems for both those guys. So maybe there's some <laughs> some some commonalities there. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it it is a fun setup. It does feel like there's some there's some Cold War paranoia stitched in here too. It's not just you know U.S. social issues going on. But uh, um, well, so let's all right, we talked about the cast a little bit. I think we both kind of agree that that Johnny not so good. Um, Barbara's sister, she escapes and then she goes catatonic for most of the movie. Um, I don't think she really says or does anything. Actually, once once Ben finds her at this farmhouse that she escapes to, and uh, um, they, they might as well have had all the wooden characters go uh, catatonic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with what they give them to do. But I mean, I guess nineteen. 19- 60s maybe not inaccurate for uh the agency women had in society that's what that's what's disappointing about this is that they spend so much time focusing on her and it's really to almost no end at the well it is to no end at the end of the movie because 
she doesn't get any agency. She doesn't do anything. She's just there as, as sort of a set piece for a lot of this that people kind of hover around and talk about, but they don't really, there's never like any, any, anything that she's doing other than when Johnny's, Johnny's reanimated body comes back and uh, it seems to be what like sort of inadvertently lulls her into, it, it gives her a pause and, and, and it's what gets her killed ultimately. Because she, yeah, I think she still has some remorse. A bit of like a a tragic, ironic loop of her cat. Like she she finally does kind of snap out when like the zombies are like trying to get in the house and they boarded it up and they're trying to hold it forward. And she finally does like jump off the couch and go try to help. But then like immediately sees her brother and dies. And it's almost like, oh, like she finally did something and she died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i um uh it's funny i when they're in the house I, it makes me, it always makes me think of the the original video game uh resident evil uh, oh, which okay. is, yeah which is came out i think 30 years after this movie did but uh there's there's some shots especially when the um when ben's going through the house and he goes upstairs and there's these, like you said, there's these kind of canted angles and there's bodies on the ground. And uh, uh, it reminds me of, and I played Resident Evil on, it was on what the PlayStation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the first the original one. PlayStation. Uh, I think it's and, been remade for like 20 other con- consoles at this point, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so it came out in 96, but that, that, as I recall, had a very heavy influence from uh, Night of the Living Dead because they, they would basically, they framed it. It was interesting how they did it. They, they basically framed shots, cinematic shots and angles they wanted to have as the characters move through different environments. A lot of it's, did have a feeling kind of kind of the night of living dead shots of like it's these kind of noirish dark shots where they want to show you something horrible in the foreground or the background but the character has to move through it so rather than the camera following the character it's really a preset cinematography or or cinematic shot and i don't know i i'm I'm rambling but (laughs) it's interesting how much this influenced uh that uh, a game like that where how how they light and shoot some of the scenes within that house is you see it replicated in things like Resident Evil later on where they want that same aesthetic and look where the environment is sort of built around having things come out to scare you or surprise the audience. And that's that's a lot of how this movie is set up, like case in point, finding the the two uh, half eaten bodies that are upstairs. Uh, I think it was like the wife or something like that of whoever lived in the house. It's it's a. Uh, I don't know. I, I really like that, and it's it's fun to see, even for a low budget movie, sort of the cinema cinematographic elements of this being an influence later on. Yeah, and I, the um, like the secret basement they discover kind of midway through with like more people, and it feels <laughs> yeah. very video game esque of like, oh, this is like another like, here's the next level you're going to. Uh, <laughs> Kind of thing. Obviously, Romero is not thinking about that making it, but you could see like video games definitely taking that kind of influence of um, the environment around you changing and threats potentially existing everywhere. Yeah. For you, but yeah, no, that's a good call. I I hadn't thought about that too much of this, but Resident Evil that first one really has heavy vibes. It leans in on this uh, in a, in a good way, in a good way, and that and that's after after thirty years of having um zombie movies to pull from but uh i also have to just say holy shit uh wikipedia said that that movie gross or that that game grossed in about a one and a half year span almost 400 million dollars equivalent of almost 400 million (laughs) dollars that's nuts um but yeah Yeah. (laughs) once they're in the house uh you really get to meet the rest of the cast and uh it's interesting you've got Harry and his wife and his daughter, who's been injured. Uh, I think they, I think, can't remember if they say it, but she got, she was bitten by one of the, the zombies that was overturning their car. And then you have Tom and his girlfriend. And it's interesting that they're younger. Again, this goes back into the, the 1968 element of it, where you have this sense that Tom is listening to Harry for lack of options as an adult in the room. 
But then when Ben shows up, you can see there's a shift there where the younger person is actually sort of ignoring what his the older the older guy's saying, and he's going more with with what is uh, yeah, what he, Ben says. And it, Romero it definitely like, plays a generational. Yeah. I, again, I go back to I, I feel like that's another sort of racial undertone of of it's a younger person seeing seeing desegregation go and 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 being okay with that and going in that direction and it's so long as it kind of gets them away from the the previous generation i i again i to your point i don't know how he's on, on the surface saying that, that there's nothing there's no uh undercurrent of of this stuff stitched in on purpose so i don't know yeah i think that the generational stuff is definitely i think on purpose and it's interesting and works well because um harry is more wanting to say, oh, let's take the conservative, like, safe route. This is hunker down here, wait for the authorities to come save us. And the younger generation is like, is more, no, we need to take control and we need to take action and we need to um, make stuff happen. And it's very reminiscent of kind of the culture at the time. And, um, but yeah, it's funny, is it, uh, um, Tom or Tommy, uh, um, He's kind of like us. looking at it and he's like, man, like, look, when it was just us, like I was okay. Kind of going along with you, but like this guy's making way more sense than you. Like, <laughs> like, like sorry, dude, but like, I'm kind of, kind of going to do this. You can tell he like feels bad. He's like, Oh, like this guy reminds me of my dad. And I know like, yeah, he's probably going to be hurt and upset that I'm not going to listen to him anymore. But also, buddy, you're making no sense. Like we yeah. got to do something. I mean, so, so, Harry's big plan is basically there's a wonderful irony at the end of this movie, but his, his big plan is, is effectively board up the house and then hide in the basement and hope that the zombies never come in and you can barricade now, in. But do you think he was right? You think, well, the movie proves him right. Unfortunately, like, I, I don't really, potentially he was right. Like that might have worked. I mean, I think they would have had to kill a little girl at some point, which would have which been a problem. I, yeah, yeah, that's uh, a... I mean, now that you say that, he was right. Because that's that's ultimately what happens is is effectively everybody else is dead and it's just Ben. And so he his only retreat at that point was to go into the basement. And so he he does it. And uh, um, that's how he basically survives the... Well, survives until the, the yeah. search party gets there. Uh, is that he's 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 holed up in the basement and there's no other way for the zombies to get in or out and uh yeah it's just man that sucks I, now that you say that i'm like that's really <laughs> this is like even darker than i thought like even <laughs> even the, the people you're supposed to root for they, they ultimately prove them wrong now i don't like it's hard to say because the zombies do kind of overrun the house at some point um and whether they that what would have happened um because ben has a great point of like we go down in that basement, like that's it. Like there's no that better work because there's, there's no there's other no way option out. afterwards. Like, yeah. yeah, you're you're shooting yourself if if there's and it's also such a crazy situation. Like we don't know if anyone's coming or when. Like we could just all starve and die down yeah. there. No, that's a it's a pretty bleak ending, and that that was yeah. the one thing that got me was most of the zombie movies kind of have. A darker ending at least as i recall um but this one just really and again in 68 barbara being eaten by her brother basically the family uh, uh harry's daughter ultimately comes back as a zombie kills the mom uh and then i think harry what happens to him oh uh, that's right him and ben get into a fight so first ben hits him and then he he kind of lets that one go then Ben ends up shooting him in the stomach and he stumbles downstairs and then dies. So then the daughter gets up, murders the mom with a uh, 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 a shovel and then uh, eats uh, Harry's corpse. Then Harry becomes reanimated. <laughs> yeah. So then Ben has to go because Ben ends up having to shoot the daughter and uh, Harry's reanimated yeah corpse, it's right? a little more i mean it's a little more direct that he shoots her but i think it's the implication is there because he uh certainly takes it pretty hard 
think he would have gotten over Hugh and Harry pretty quick. Yeah, I, I feel like he was. He I was, think the, he was the on daughter board. one maybe maybe took it out to, took a little out of his soul a little bit to have to do that. That one's probably pretty upsetting. Yeah, I I, I would I could see that not being what he wanted to do. Um, but it, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, God, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, unfortunately, Harry was right. If, if he just stayed in the basement, they probably well, never would have. I, I think the problem would have been, and like, not that I just necessarily know whether or not Ben is thinking this, but. When that little girl dies and she comes back as a zombie, they're going to have to kill her. And yeah. that's where, like, Ben and Harry are probably going to end up shooting one one or the other because Harry's obviously not going to want to kill his daughter, even though she's already dead and coming back as a zombie. Well, and that's another, another layer of this that I think is fun is nobody really understands what the what the rules are. They're kind of establishing them, them as they go, but it works. it works okay here because... Um, you just know that you can't you can't get caught by them, but they're slow moving, and then Ben ultimately finds out that uh, they they don't like fire. So I I like that some of this would be new for the first time, and and those rules would make it challenging for people in that situation to to maybe do the right thing because they don't know. Um, yeah, and it's your kid, you know. That's the thing. Right, <laughs> it's your child. And uh, yeah, that one is so messed up because like. I, I for do we t- learn what is wrong with her? She's just hurt. I think she got, she got I, by one. I, I think they they before she actually kind of dies. I think they say she was she was bitten by one of the creatures because they they escaped to the house after their car got overturned. Yeah, <clears throat> and so the ahead, where sure. she's at. Well, I think it's important like, important that where she's at. The little girl is like we have. They have so little knowledge of what's happening. It's like authorities come and they might be able to like they might have a cure for her they might be able to save her they might be like yeah inject her with this and she's back and fine just a little girl again um and so just straight up like murdering them or burning them or so it's like oh i don't it's i guess you don't want the ending of uh the mist to happen to you yeah i um well if you think about it as a parent Harry's reaction uh, again. I'm also apparently the same age as he he was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would probably have the same reaction if it was my kid. You know, you're going to do everything you can, or at least you're going to hold out hope as yeah. long as you absolutely can for something like that for your child. But um, that's what's a little that's what's a little scary watching this now as an adult is like I don't say I wouldn't say I side with Harry on this, but I'm also like I don't know I would if I would react that much differently in in this situation. I you know having my child be in, in danger would be something that would over override a lot of my potentially yeah. override a lot of my ability to think clearly. It's a young buck coming in, swinging his dick around. You're not going to put up with that <laughs> until he slaps him in the face with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are we coming around on Harry? I guess I feel like, well, well he proved his plan was right. <laughs> and, uh, um, Prove that maybe his pl- his uh his motivations were not not wrong for what he's trying to do for his family. No, because but... he uh he fucks everyone over. He like constantly yeah, he kind of like, does. He's like it's more it's not so much that he disagrees and has a different plan. It's that he kind of like sabotages <laughs> them at times, or like the first chance he gets, like takes like. And the movie portrays him also kind of cowardly that yeah it's not just that like he wants to do something different it's like in the moment like he could help and does not um and so i think that's more that why you leave the movie really disliking him yeah uh fair okay all right guess we're not on the hairy train um <laughs> uh I- I just didn't really want to lose it with a hot take. <laughs> Harry was right. <laughs> well, I, I guess at the end of it, it doesn't matter because none of them are right. If you think about it, because they all they all die. Like that's the really dark, yeah, undertone. Right. Here. Harry goes back in the basement and like the daughter kills the mother and like he died. Like yeah, it's like it wasn't this wasn't going to go very well for you either, Harry. <laughs> like well, and and I guess there's there's nothing to say that just because. Uh, you know, Ben get, Ben survives and is shot by the the roving gang of uh uh search party people. There's no reason to say that Harry wouldn't have had the same fate if if they had survived. I mean, it's it really does come back down to 
nobody was ever going to be safe no matter what they did. Yeah. It, it, it's horrible as that sounds. So, um, Which, to your point, it feels like a, uh, something that carries through into a lot of zombie movies going forward of a lot of the kind of nihilism. Um, yeah. I So what is your favorite zombie movie? Because I know, I know oh, what mine man. is, but... That's tough. And and also, these are ones I always struggle with. So you were, did kind of like a rundown of them, and I was really glad you did, because throughout <laughs> multiple times in my life, I've like looked up, like, okay, what are like the Romero ones? What are the kind of the offshoots of that? And then what are like the other ones outside of that? And then I can never keep track of them. And then they're all like <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, all like... I can never keep track of what's what out of those. <laughs> um, and so I, and in some ways it's like, oh, I kind of enjoy so much of movies. I'm such a big fan. Like you dive deep into and you get into such minutia that you kind of lose a little of the mystery of it. And I, for, I don't know, for these, I'm like kind of like, oh, I kind of like being a step removed from that deep dive keeps an air of mystery about him that I I, I kind of still enjoy. So I'm kind of like, I kind of don't want to dive so hard, he- heavy into these where I I can just rip up, be the guy who's like, oh no, you're talking about Dawn of the Dead with uh, these guys. And I um, know it that well. So I think it's Dawn of the Dead is my favorite. The one where they get to, they get they to, go the, to mall. The, the mall. And it's the yeah. Pittsburgh mall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so to your point, um, because Day of the Dead, I really like Return of the Living Dead, I really like. Um... So I think the way it worked was uh, a guy named John Russo co-wrote Return Night of the Living Dead with with Romero, and then Romero made it. And I think they had a creative difference, and they split the property where Romero could have like Day or Night or whatever of the Dead, and then I think Russo got all like the Living Dead naming rights, or it, it's something like that where they. They basically could split the baby on on the concept, and and so I think that's why Day of the Dead is Romero's follow up to this because uh, it's set in Pittsburgh, and it's uh, I want to go back and watch that now that I've seen this one, and because I think you and I both we watched like a year or two ago, yeah, I, yeah and I, I, I it's yeah, really good, I loving it, like yeah, and it actually has an, a good ending or not good ending, I I, I a uplifting <laughs> ending for the characters, I should say. Uh, and that was that was surprising because it, it's a guy who's on the end of, at the end of his rope, and then he actually decides to he chooses to fight and actually survives, and they fly away in a helicopter. Um, but I I really like Day of the or was it that's Day of the Dead, right? Or that's no, Dawn of Dawn of the Dead. Dawn <laughs> yeah, of the is, Dead is, is the what mall. I can never I can never do with. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Dawn of the Dead is the mall, and that in 1979. And it's supposed to, supposedly that one was supposed to be a statement on consumerism uh, for for people going to malls and just wasting money. But then in 85, uh, Romero does Day of the Dead, which is pretty that's pretty bleak. It takes place uh, somewhere in uh, uh, I think it's South. It's like Boca Raton or or like <laughs> Fort Lauderdale is where it's supposed to take place. And it's like a research crew trapped with a bunch of. Uh, military ex-military guys and i think that one's supposed to have commentary on kind of the hawks versus doves angle but um my favorite's actually not a romero one it's still return of the living dead uh that came out okay. came out the same year in, in 85 and it's funny because uh all the romero ones they use basically the same myth- mythology about zombies where they're slow moving they're just trying to eat people they're mindless and uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead is, even though it's kind of a parody that I think I think John Russo must have. I think John Russo was either a writer or co-writer on. Um, yeah, he. I think he worked with Dan O'Bannon to do the story. Um, mm. uh, that one they introduced a whole new mythology of. That's where all the brains thing comes from. Is from Return of the Living Dead. And then I like the idea of these sort of fast-moving zombies. That's scary as shit to me. Like that's that's. That's something like, yeah, like okay, you can't, you can't. It's it's like if Usain Bolt became a zombie, it's like <laughs> it's scary as shit because it's like what what's gonna happen? It's like well, he he wants to kill you, 
and he can run as fast as he normally did when he was alive. <laughs> like that seems terrifying. So I, I, I like that one a lot. And uh, I think that actually is what became the, the template for a lot of modern zombie lore. Um, what do you call it? Uh, 28 days later is kind of a combination of the fact that you get fast moving zombies and you have, uh, um, they're just mindless kind of creatures that don't, don't know what they're doing. So anyway, yeah. I uh, Return of Living Dead it took me forever to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good one, which we, I believe, <laughs> have a podcast recorded of that we never released. Oh, that's what we should have done for October when we've not released any podcasts. We should release have the ones we already. Forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. And drop that one. <laughs> we talk more about the uh, the Nazi undertones that are in that one, by the way, because there's the, <laughs> yeah. the mortician that's. Um, uh, very clearly an ex ex third Reich member that's somehow escaped the United States. That's a that's a <laughs> that's a crazy fucking movie. That that's another movie that feels like it was written by cocaine. So that's a movie that is like so perfect to do a podcast on. Um that like we could just like once a year do a podcast on it because there's so much to talk about in it. Yeah. Um similarly, at least this is more of a personal thing than the movie itself, I would say. But uh last night uh Blood Sport was on. Hell yeah, it was. And I was like, oh, man, we need to do a podcast on this. Uh, and I was like, oh, I think we have. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Yeah. But I was like, oh, man, it'd be really fun to do a podcast on this one. So I think at some point we just have to do a blood sport again. <laughs> uh, I, will, I would do that once a year because I I, I, will, I will. I think I've gotten Carter to watch the Kumite montage. Not the part where, like, it's Chung Lee killing people, but I've gotten It's fun. It's so much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. And... I, I was telling you this earlier. Uh, my mom got me the book "Last Action Heroes," which came out, I think, earlier earlier this year. Yeah, I believe. Right. And I just finished listening to the audio version of it, and one of my favorite. There, there's a lot of really. I will say, if anybody likes movies, and especially action movies from the '80s, any of the canon movies we've talked about, because they talk about canon uh, intermittently, but they do hit on Bloodsport and and Van Damme's arc. And it's fun to hear things like uh, Tiger Tanaka was supposedly the name of of the guy who trained Frank Dukes, the character, and supposedly the real person that uh, Bloodsport's based on. And then uh, Tiger Tanaka is actually just the guy who's the other agent for Japan in uh, You Only Live Twice. And I just, to your point, it was just, you could, you could pull off so much other bullshit before the internet was around to just easily dispel any kind of... Any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, Duke's made an entire career off of basically lying that he was in the CIA and he was in a karate tournament, underground karate tournament. And people bought it because there's just no way to fact yeah, check. Yeah, now, right. You couldn't like Google something in two seconds. And so really, that guy was full of shit. Uh, so, yeah. So um, I will recommend if you, if you enjoy this podcast, you should go listen or listen to or read uh, Last Action Heroes. It's a. Uh, I think my other, sorry, my other favorite anecdote in there is um, Stallone made Staying Alive, which was a follow-up to Saturday Night Fever uh, in the early 80s. And they talk a lot about how Stallone and Travolta became like close and friends on the on working on the movie together. And that Stallone and Travolta were both writing like their own versions of Godfather 3, where it had, it had like Travolta as the son of al pacino's uh michael corleone and i just love the idea that i'm like how the, the amount of ego and i just would have loved to have seen what they wrote for themselves for 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 both of those guys to be in godfather 3 and somehow justify it because obviously it's not for coppola that's working on that. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun it's a lot of and it talks a lot about uh yeah. canon and and how uh Ooh. van damme van damme basically was their second coming of chuck norris <laughs> uh, I can only hope someday someone says that about me. <laughs> oh, maybe Chuck Norris himself will. Maybe the lone wolf himself will. Um, yeah. So uh, it's funny. This one's a tough. There's not a ton to say about it. It's yeah. I know. Before we recorded, I kind of said there's only so many ways to be like, oh, I really like it, but you know, it's low budget, so it has some flaws in some of the things. But still, really good and fun. And then, um, well, it's funny. This 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 really goes on to, to basically define the rest of 
Romero's career too. Um, with yeah, the one it's exception. almost kind of sad when you look at some of the credits of that stuff. It's like, oh, like he tries, he does like a couple other things, and then it's like he slowly gets like pigeonholed into like you're just the zombie, like <laughs> like night of the living dead day of the dead guy like that's like come to us when you have one of those ideas and and we'll probably make it but anything else yeah we'll pass yeah i uh you said it to me and it's hard to ignore but romero did a 1974 documentary called uh juice on the loose and uh it's it's not funny Al Cowling's pretty in funny. It. Oh God, Al Cowling's is in it too. Jesus Christ! Um, all of all of the reviews on Letterboxd are basically just like hasn't aged well. We know it comes <laughs> in twenty years. <laughs> oh man! Well, it's just it it's objectively hilarious that like this guy is very famous for doing like a horror movie is making it's like making a documentary about a future like killer <laughs> like well i'll uh i'll go one step further 10 years after this documentary was made the terminator came out and guess who was supposed to be the terminator for a while <laughs> until they determined <laughs> he was too nice oj simpson so too um, nice <laughs> uh i will say that he does a terrific job in um uh naked gun one yeah. and two as norberg yeah he's fantastic so um Everything else he does after that is pretty horrible. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, so I, how do we rank this? This is tough because how do you rank this? Because it's we're watching uh, yeah. it from, from 2023 perspective, which is probably not so, a good joke. Well, in some ways, it like gives you even more perspective of, you know, like the influence it had as well. So like, well, now maybe you're like wanting to rate it higher because like in 1968, you're not aware of like what's coming. Whereas like now you know like what this like helps spawn and uh, and do. And then, but this is kind of why I stopped um, really rating movies on Letterbox, movies like this, because I was like, oh, this is exhausting and not fun to have to like weed through for for absolutely no reason. Why it's like a star rating for something like this. Um, but I actually think I do have this rated on Letterbox um, <laughs> from some prior years. I think I have it at four and a half, uh, uh, four and a half stars on there. So I think I'll stick with uh, four and a half Johnny. Here you go, Johnny's <laughs> four and a half Johnny's. Four and a half Johnny's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't let me see. I don't know if I actually rated it on 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 Letterbox. I had to have. I think I want to. I think I, you do. I think uh, you're a little lower. I think uh, I was at. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go a half a point higher. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. Uh, oh, man. Um, <laughs> flaming trucks. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, that was terrible. Um but yeah, I, I, I will say uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this one, um, which we didn't hit on, Tom Savini, the special effects artist, he, he who worked on uh, Dawn of the Dead that we were talking about earlier, he actually did his own remake of this in 1990. Um, and I have not seen it in a very long time. But as I recall, it's pretty it's pretty good. It's pretty faithful to, to this, but with more modern special effects. And, and it's... Uh, if I recall, the ending is not as bleak. I think one of the characters, I think Barbara survives the whole thing. And she's a little more okay. empowered to actually have some agency throughout. So I think it's, I think there's more going on there. So I would, I would recommend, and I think it's streaming right now. So since it's uh, October, so I, I would recommend uh, people watching that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I had <laughs> Uh, one more thing uh, for this. So, oh, let's keep going. Let's just keep one, one more thing in the. Come on, yeah, let's get yeah. it, Steve Jobs. So we talked about like a lot of the actors in this were kind of stage actors, um, New York, Pittsburgh area, um, where they primarily were working and didn't really uh, make a jump into any kind of more TV movie type stuff. So I really couldn't find any actor um, 
or technical person um, with a connection to Star Trek um, on this. And then I think the timing of it, even for someone like, say, a Romero or this is, I think, the 1968 is the last season of um, Star Trek, the original series to air on TV. And then you have you have the animated show that comes out in like the 70s at some point. But then you really get nothing until you get um, into the first movie. So even like it's not um, a situation where like Romero could have ended up directing like an episode of Star Trek or something. Uh, so but <laughs> there is there is a tiny, uh, tiny connection of uh, so. The release date I could find for Night of the Living Dead, and I'm sure this changed greatly. I'm, I imagine this was slowly rolled out to different cities, um, you know, based on how movies were released back then. But the original release date I could find was October 4th, 1968 for Night of the Living Dead. And uh, if, if you're not in the mood to go out to the movies on October 4th, 1968, you could have stayed home and watched... Uh, the original airing of the Star Trek episode, The Paradise Syndrome. And uh, I'll give you the, the brief synopsis. Trapped on a planet whose inhabitants are descended from Northwestern Native Americans, Kirk loses his memory and is proclaimed a god while the crippled Enterprise races back to the planet before it is destroyed by an asteroid. <laughs> and uh, uh, I love it. Yeah, and uh, that... Uh, <laughs> It is an accurate description and captures how batshit crazy much of the episode is. Of um, maybe, but that's I'm I'm glad you could find a way to tie in uh tie in Star Trek because I I, I actually even though I'm not really a Star Trek fan I had a really hard time doing anything to to find overlap with with the show the movie anything and so I'm glad I'm glad you could at least find a way to tie this back together. So, but what I also think. Talk to the production values on it of even like it's really impressive what they're doing of like this is a time where like like you look at Star Trek now like the effects are super dated and thing and that like this is really pulling off some pretty high level stuff on a low budget that's that's really impressive um, and so I think when you talk about um, you know some of the things acting or things that haven't aged great that like it's you know, you got to kind of also give it credit for um, so how technically well done much of it is. What And when did you say that uh, Star Trek, the show went off the air? Was that, that was the same uh, year? 60, I mean, 60, you know, it probably, probably lasted into 69, season three. And then, <laughs> and it uh, did last into 69. <laughs> I was really hoping, I was, uh, I was hoping you were going to team me up for that. I was like, come on, whether you knew it or not, come on, tee it up. Um. Anyway, I'm glad I'm a child. So, uh, no, this is <laughs> this has been. Oh, so go, go, go ahead. No, sorry, no we're so not done know. yet. Uh, no. Yesterday, I was driving to a cross country meet. Um, taking my daughter to like the middle of nowhere, Georgia, like two and a half hours, and like you literally go like past like nothing. Um, but um, so driving there and driving back, my the GPS um uh, has to has to say, um. The in two miles, make a left onto Old Balls Ferry Road. <laughs> <laughs> and every time it says Old Balls, I would laugh. <laughs> I uh, I was trying to, I can't remember what it was. We we're watching something on TV, and I was like, Carter, you see that uh, that road? And he goes, like, Yeah. And I was like, Mom and I drove down a road like that one time out in Seattle. It's called Chuck a Nut. And she's he's like, What? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, Chuck a Nut. It's like. That's a weird name, and Anna's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't know. Make as big an impact on her. <laughs> no, you think that given Harry's already he was our age in this, you think he'd be laughing about balls, balls jokes? <laughs> uh, not if there are women around. Oh uh, yeah, but if it's true. a bunch of men, like a thousand percent, <laughs> thousand percent. And also, also there would be like, I think the jokes would be more uh, offensive in a racial <laughs> misogyny kind of way in harry's harry's crew yeah he doesn't seem like he's a fun hang uh so i'm guessing he's not he's not cracking jokes um cool all right well this, this was fun so i know we talked about doing a a larger october run we're recording this on october 14th yeah, completely derailed <laughs> yeah we missed it uh because we were, we were both traveling and so 
uh, I think we're going to see if we can do some other stuff, but uh, it's going to, we're going to have to really shoehorn it in for the month of October. Yeah. So um, do we want to just like drop this immediately just to get something out for October? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, and then, and then, uh, we'll see what else we can get to. You've got a very special episode coming up, I think. For us. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't know how long it's actually going to run or what we'll be able to do, but I'm hoping we can uh, get something a little special out. Uh, we, I was hoping it could be uh, kind of October 3rd. Oh, maybe we'll just save it and drop it on like Halloween or something. I'm good with that. Um, as a, as a, a very special episode. It's a very special that. episode where we talk about drug abuse. <laughs> Murph goes to the bike store and almost gets molested. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing with that bike pump, but it didn't feel good. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. On that note. Uh, we will see everybody later, and I guess we're gonna have some surprise episodes coming for you later on in October. So yeah, it's uh, you know, you'll see what you get. Yeah, <laughs> so best, best of luck to you if you're still listening. To Just this. trying to you know hold my life together. There you go. All right. Goodbye.